Father, we thank you so much for the grace that you have shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving him to die for us. Thank you for the forgiveness and life that we have in him. Thank you for the fact that um, whatever happens, uh, you hold us in your hand. And that whatever happens, um, our future is secure. Uh, not because of what we've done, because of what Jesus has done for us. And we thank you so much for that. And we pray that even today as we look at your word together, your spirit will be working in our hearts, uh, making Jesus bigger and bigger uh, in our own minds, helping us to appreciate more and more uh, the great grace that you have shown us in him. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, can I get you to turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, as we begin our new series. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Which is on page 1146 which is beside page 1147. Uh, you also find it helpful to have in front of you the uh, one of those two handouts that Indran showed you just now, uh, the one that's got the sermon outline. Uh, we helpful to help that, have that there as well. Uh, if you'd like a pencil, you're welcome to go to the welcome desk and get one. Um, but otherwise, we have the most important thing is to have that Bible passage open. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 1 to 9. Have you ever been in a church with lots and lots of problems? Like really, really big problems. Many issues all over the place that you don't even know where to start when you want to address them. And you think, well, maybe actually it's not really worth helping them. Yeah. If you were the pastor, you'd be tempted to just get up and walk away and start a new church in another part of town. Ever been in a church like that? Ever known a church like that? Well, let me tell you, the church in Corinth was a little bit like that. It wasn't a big church. It was probably smaller than the size of Smack One is now. Probably a little bit bigger than the size of Smack One was when we started the service. But let me tell you what, it punched above its size when it came to problems. Now, this church was planted by the Apostle Paul himself. Uh, Paul went to Corinth on his second missionary journey. He had, had preached the gospel and planted churches in Philippi and Thessalonica and then Berea and then Athens before coming to Corinth. And first century Corinth was a port city, had been rebuilt by the Romans. And it was a city that was full of sexual immorality, as port cities often are. It was a city full of idolatry. Lots of temples to various deities, idolatrous practices fully integrated into everyday business and life. It was a city with plenty of opportunities for traveling professional speakers who charged high fees for people to come and hear their great speeches of wonderful oratory that would help them advance in society. And so when Paul came to Corinth, he, 
He worked with his hands to pay for his expenses so he can preach the gospel free of charge, at least until outside support came. Do you want to be like one of those? And he stayed there for more than one and a half years, teaching God's word to the people there, telling them about Jesus, and so the church was planted. After that, Paul moved to Ephesus. He made a trip from there, it need not concern us today, but he came back to Ephesus and he was there for about three years in total. And during that time, he wrote at least one other letter to Corinth to deal with the problem of sexual immorality in the church. But now, Paul heard that they've misunderstood some of the things in that letter. And then there were other problems as well. There was division in the church along the lines of who their favorite preacher was. There was more division along social economic lines with people not treating each other properly in the Lord's Supper. There were people who were really impressed with those professional speakers who boasted a certain kind of wisdom and eloquence that they didn't see in Paul. There was arrogance about how great they were as a church and a certain disdain for apostolic teaching and, and authority. There was someone in the church who was taking someone else in the church to court over agreements. And there was some really shocking sexual immorality that was not only tolerated, but seemed to be celebrated. There were problems in the Corinthian church. And there were other things as well that they specifically wrote to Paul to get his advice on. There were questions about marriage, about divorce, about singleness. There were questions about food offered to idols, about the place of the law, about spiritual gifts and their use in public gatherings. And furthermore, there was false teaching around teaching that denied the future resurrection, and Paul had to correct that. And so, in response to all these things, under the sovereign guidance of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthian church. And Sosthenes, in verse 1, was probably the scribe that he used to take dictation as he wrote, as he spoke the words of the letter. Now, You'd think that knowing all these problems and all the things that he's going to say, you'd think Paul would be pretty down on the Corinthian church, wouldn't you? But you notice how he started the letter? Paul found truthful, positive things to say about them that were based on the gospel. He's going to whack them later, right? He's going to say some very strong things to rebuke them, correct them, and train them in righteousness. But he doesn't write them off. Because there are some wonderful things that are true of them. And are true of every true church of Jesus Christ. Things that are not based on them and what they are like, but based on God and his gospel of grace. They are all about what God, by his grace, has made these Corinthians to be. What he has done for them, and what he will continue to do for them. And so Paul's going to affirm these things before he begins to rebuke and correct them. Four things stand out about the Corinthians in this passage. And two of them are in verse 2, as Paul describes them. First of all, he describes them as the church of God. They are the church of God. 
The church, as you know, is not the building or the denomination or the structure. The word church means what? Gathering, assembly, meeting. People get, people get together. And so the church of God is the, the gathering of the assembly that belongs to God. It is His church. And it's the church of God, verse 2 again, that is in Corinth. They, they are meeting in Corinth. They are the gathering that belongs to God, but they are gathered in this pagan city. And many of the problems that we read about later stem from the fact that they are in this city. The culture, the thinking, the way of life, the problems of Corinth affect the church, or the temptations, the issues that people in the church face have a lot to do with the situation where they're from. And they were in. Though actually the problem is not so much that the church is in Corinth, but there's too much Corinth in the church. Yet they were still the church of God. Next week we will read the passage where people want to follow other people. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. Paul might have planted the church, but it's not Paul's church. It's not Apollos' church. It's not Cephas' church. It's God's church. It belongs to God because it comes from God. Think, how is the church created? Through the wisdom of Paul? Through the oratory of Paul? No. Through the preaching of the gospel, isn't it? Not with lofty speech or wisdom, Paul says, but the declaration of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It was the Spirit who opened blind eyes to reveal the spiritual truths of the gospel to, to people who otherwise would not have been able to accept them. And so the church was really God's church, created by God's gospel, through God's Spirit. And these people were God's people. God's Spirit dwelled in them, made them God's temple. They were God's field, God's vineyard. The Corinthian church had many problems, but first and foremost, before any of that, they were the church of God. And that made them special. None of the problems and issues that they faced actually changed the fact that they are the church belonging to God. And friends, that's the same for us here at St. Mary's at Smack, isn't it? We are the church of God in Dataramadeka. God's people gathered at the very heart of Kuala Lumpur. Being in a big pagan city, we face some of those same issues that the Corinthian church faced. But before anything else, we are God's church. That is first and foremost our identity. This church belongs to God. It doesn't belong to Andrew or Tim or Kenneth. It doesn't even belong to you. Right? It's not your church. It's God's church. The church exists because of the preaching of Christ crucified. The church exists because the Holy Spirit has opened blind eyes to enable them to accept the truths of Jesus. We are God's people, God's vineyard, God's field. God's Spirit dwells in us and makes us God's temple. We are God's church. And actually that's a great relief, isn't it? Well, it is for me. 
Because it means that our hope and our confidence, our trust in the end is not in man, but in God. What we listen to each week is not man's ideas and opinions, but God's word. Our foundation, our rock-solid foundation, is not man's vision, but Christ crucified. And our future is ultimately in God's hands. We are God's church. The second thing we read about the Corinthian church in verse 2 is that they are sanctified in Christ Jesus. They are sanctified in Christ Jesus. The word sanctified means made holy. Right? It would be holified, except there's no such word. Right? So, it comes from holy. And what holy means? Set apart. Right? God is holy. He is set, he's different from everything else. He's, he's God. He's holy. And that which is set apart for God, especially and exclusively, is, is also holy. Now, in the Old Testament, there were special holy people, the priests, or special holy things in the temple, special holy places where people weren't allowed to go. But, but now it is the church that is holy. It is sanctified. The Old Testament, God told Israel that if and only if they obeyed him, they will be his holy people. But now, by virtue of the fact that they had been spiritually united with Christ, that they were in Christ, these Corinthians were sanctified. They were holy. Because New Testament holiness is not predominantly about what you do, but about what is done to you. If you are in Christ, God's holy one, then you are holy. That is your status. You're set apart from the world to belong to God in a special way. And so in spite of all their faults, the Corinthian church was holy. They were, verse 2 again, called to be saints. That is, holy ones. And in Christ, that is exactly what they were. It doesn't mean their faults didn't matter. No, no, remember Paul's going to write very strongly about them and command them to repent. He would warn them about God's discipline if they failed to do that. But it doesn't change the fact that they are holy. And in fact, it's because they are holy people that they are meant to act in a holy way. And the calling to be saints it's not just for the Corinthian Christians. Verse 2 says that they were called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. They weren't the only church in the world. They weren't the only holy ones in the world. They were part of a greater company. People in every place who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. As a somewhat arrogant church, the Corinthians might have been tempted to, to do their own thing without reference to anyone else. But Paul gently reminds them they're not the only holy ones. Not the only saints. Their calling to be saints is together with believers from all over the world who to submit to Jesus as Lord. And, well, that includes us, doesn't it? 
We are people from a different time, a different place. We are people who in 2013 in Datara Medeca call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus is our Lord. And we look to Him for our salvation. And so we too have a calling. And our calling first and foremost is to be saints. God called us. And he, that call worked. He, by his, he, he called us and He made us His saints. If we are those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, if we know Him as our Lord, if we trust Him to save us, then that is what we are. Like the Corinthians, we're an imperfect congregation that have been made holy by Jesus. And we recognize there are other imperfect congregations all over the world which have been made holy by Jesus. Corinthian church, far from perfect, but they are in Christ, so they are holy, and so are we. The Corinthian church might have been a church with many problems, but Paul could still always thank God for them. As we said, he doesn't ignore their faults, but he can see, in spite of those faults, the grace of God working in them. He has an eye for that. And so he gives thanks to God, verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you, because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Because that, that's what matters in the end, isn't it? They were in Christ, they are recipients of God's grace. God was treating them far better than they deserved. And because of God's grace to them in Christ, they were, verse 5, in every way enriched in Christ, in Him, in all speech, His word, and all knowledge. Enriched, that means made wealthy. They were made wealthy in all word and all knowledge. That is, the word of God was present among them. They had the gospel. The knowledge of God was present among them. They knew God through Jesus. And so they were wealthy in every word and knowledge. And this was because, verse 6, the testimony of Christ was confirmed among them. The gospel was preached to them and the Spirit worked in them so they believed. And so with God's word at work in them, the Spirit confirming or establishing the gospel in their hearts, God's grace was indeed with them. And because God's grace was upon them, they as a church had all the gifts they needed to remain faithful. Verse 7 continues, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. Actually the word uh, spiritual is not there. It's just gift. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And these Corinthians, they had everything that they needed. They had the gospel, they had the spirit, they had whatever gifts they needed to expound the gospel and apply God's word in their lives. They had it all. Why? Not because they had some special experience, because they had some special technique, not because they had superior eloquence or they had particular study courses, but because they had Christ. God's grace came to them in Christ Jesus. And friends, that is us too. We have been given everything that we need. 
the gospel has been preached to us and indeed dwells richly among us. The Spirit has worked in our hearts, drawing us to Jesus. In fact, unlike the Corinthians, we have the full deposit of the Word of God in the Scriptures. And we have people all around us to encourage us in different ways, playing different roles in the body of Christ to help us press on. God has given us, as his people together, every gift that we need to endure. We've got to be thankful for that, huh? However, in the end, it's not the gifts that will ultimately be responsible for the perseverance of the Corinthians. The gifts are part of what God uses to, to do it, but really, ultimately, it is the Lord who keeps them. And Paul is confident that he will do so. He, verse 8, he will sustain them to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus. He will sustain them, that he will keep them firm, right to the end, to the final judgment, to the day of the Lord Jesus. Remember our Old Testament reading today, we read of the day of the Lord. The day when God would act in judgment. And Paul is confident that, that, that God would keep these Corinthians to the end so that on the day of the Lord Jesus, when his glory is revealed, when he judges the world, they will be guiltless or blameless without accusation. Why? Because they are in Christ. They have been united spiritually with Christ. And they will be without accusation at the end. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross, he, he, he died for our sins. And all those who are united with him, his death applies to them. And if only the Corinthians will remain in Christ, they are considered guiltless on that last day. God will make sure that it happens. God will persevere. The God who called them, made them holy, will keep them to the end. Because the God who called them, verse 9, into fellowship, into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord is faithful. So that in the end, their perseverance, just like their calling, is because of God's grace, not their performance. And it's like that for us too, isn't it? We are not Christians because we're so smart that we worked out step by step by logical deduction that Christianity must be true and so we of our own volition decided that we would follow Jesus. Oh, it might have looked like that to you. I don't know. But behind it all, you believed because God was calling you into the fellowship of his Son. And this very same God who called you will keep you until Jesus returns. And so our confidence is not in human effort, but God's faithfulness. So, brothers and sisters, we have seen that God's grace in Christ means that the Corinthian Christians were the church of God, were sanctified in Christ Jesus, had been given everything they needed to persevere, and would be kept by God as they waited for Jesus to return. Even though they were a church with many problems. If that's true of the Corinthians, that's actually true of many, many, many churches, isn't it? 
There are many churches which believe the gospel but have all kinds of problems. But they are faithful to the gospel. And brothers and sisters, if they are Bible-believing, Christ-honoring, gospel-faithful churches, do not write them off, because God hasn't. It doesn't mean that you're the one who has to solve all their problems, you're not their apostle. But it does mean that you should not forget that they belong to Jesus. They may have faults, they may have areas where they need to repent, But God's grace in Christ means that they are the church of God, that they are sanctified in Christ Jesus, they are holy, that they have been given everything they need to persevere, and that they will be kept by God as we wait wait for Jesus to return. And so like Paul, let's be quick to acknowledge that for our brothers and sisters. And brothers and sisters, that applies to us as well, doesn't it? Actually, I'm, I'm really thankful to God for this congregation. I might be a bit biased, but I kind of like this church. Yeah? I, I think it's a good church in all kinds of ways. I'm really, really thankful to God. I know that's because of God's kindness, not our greatness. I actually can't think of another church in the world I'd rather be serving, actually. But... But we mustn't be arrogant. We're not a perfect church. We know that. We have our own faults. We have our own shortcomings. Let's not look down on other churches, because it's always easy to find the faults and failings of others. But we need to be open to our own. We must need to be ready to repent ourselves as we come under the scrutiny of God's word. Because if we spend the whole of our Corinthian series gloating about the faults of others and not listening to the word of God for ourselves, then we would have wasted the opportunity to have learned and be challenged by God, wouldn't we? And that kind of arrogance would be a fault in itself, wouldn't it? So let's look forward to humbly sitting under God's word in this one Corinthian series. Let's ask him to teach us rebuke us, correct us, and train us in righteousness as we wrestle with this letter in our sermons, in our small groups, in one-to-ones. Let's pray that God would change us, that we may be more and more the kind of people that he wants us to be. Yet at the same time, let's also be encouraged, not in ourselves, but in the never-changing faithfulness of God. For God's grace to us in Christ means that we are the church of God. That we are sanctified in Christ Jesus. That we have everything we need to persevere together till the end. And that we will be kept by God as we wait for Jesus to return. And these are things to be thankful for indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the grace that you have shown us in Christ. We thank you that because of you, not because of us, that we are your church. 
We thank you that we have been formed through the proclamation of the gospel of Christ crucified. By the Spirit at work in hearts opening blind eyes. That we have been gathered and called by you to be holy. And we've been sanctified in Christ Jesus as your saints. Even as we live here. Thank you that you have given us everything that we need to persevere. Thank you for each other and for the partnership that we share. And thank you that you will keep us as we wait for Jesus to return. Thank you that all this is because of you and not because of us. We pray, Heavenly Father, that even as we are holy, that you will be changing our actions that we may be more and more holy in practice. Even as we are your church, you'll be helping us express more and more your character. Even as we have been given everything that we need, that more and more we will love and serve each other and help each other to persevere. And even as we have been kept by you and will be kept by you until Jesus returns, that you help us to keep on persevering in faith and love. Please, Father, would you teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and train us in righteousness. Please, Father, would you use this 1 Corinthians a series to be really opening our eyes to how you would have us be as your church. And Father, would you please be glorified in all this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.